this is episode number four of Ships with Gabby Jubron. Welcome to Ships. My name is Pat McAndrew, and I am a professional actor, speaker, and coach. In every episode, we discuss a message related to the most important vessels in our lives. Thanks for being here today. Now let's set sail. Welcome back to the Ships Podcast. Today we have an awesome guest joining us. His name is Gabby Jubron. Gabby Jubron is the founder and executive director of a nonprofit company called Happy, helping awesome parents parent intentionally. I love that. And he is also the co founder of the Digital Wellness Collective. Born and raised in Silicon Valley, he has always been saturated by technology and is now on a mission to align tech's incentives with people's well-being. His inspiration came from watching his two-year-old niece play with an iPad and ultimately realized the biggest impact would come from helping parents reclaim their own attention. He is a firm believer that creating a world where parents feel deeply connected to themselves, to their communities, to the natural world, and to their children will naturally create more happiness everywhere. This is a really great episode, everyone. I really hope you stay and tune in. Gabby and I talk a lot of good stuff, a lot of good information in this one. He talks about the importance of making space for yourself in a technological age. We talk a lot about community and reclaiming our attention in this age where our attention is often all over the place and uh, we're very distracted all the time. He's also encouraging a shift in culture where we should encourage more of a transformation as opposed to a consumption of information. And we also talk about the importance of reconnecting with your inner child. This is a really great episode. I was so excited to have Gabby on the podcast. So great of him to commit some of his time to chatting with me, and I really hope it's a a great insight for all of you listeners. So without further ado, the one, the only, Gabby Dubron. Welcome back to the Ships Podcast. Right now we have Gabby Dubron with us. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Pat. It's a pleasure. Thank you for honoring me with uh, for, with inviting me on your show. Uh, you're, you're too kind. It is an honor to have you on the show. Well, I, I think <laughs> so, we can agree that we're both honored here then. <laughs> there we go. Um, so, Gabby, I'm really excited uh, to have you on the podcast Um we we've been connected for a little while, but we most recently met in person at, at Wisdom 2.0. That's right. Uh, you know, it's funny because I was like, man, look at that guy smile. I got to meet that guy. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we, we'd been in a few communications with one another. I was on a you know virtual call with you, but it was really uh, it was really quite quite something to, to meet you in person. And I I think that's the. Um, you know, sort of the the beautiful thing about 
connecting through technology is like, while I didn't necessarily have the same connection to you that I do now, it sort of laid the groundwork for when that first meeting did happen. And I was like, Oh yes, Pat, you're awesome. Right. Right. (laughs) And I know that now. Yeah. It's it's (laughs) a really great thing for like that initial first contact of being like, Oh, this is, this is someone awesome who exists. Um, and then being able to build that relationship um, in person, it's, it's great. And, and what a great place to, to connect to is such a great conference. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. So I'm wondering maybe if you could just start off by telling us uh, a little bit about your background, uh, where are you from and, and how did you get to the position where you're at now with doing the work that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I was born and raised in the Bay Area. Um, really in the heart uh, of Silicon Valley, uh, a place called Menlo Park, uh, which famously uh, Google and HP started out of a garage in Menlo Park and uh, Apple started out of one in Palo Alto, which is right right next door. Um, and so I've always been um, kind of surrounded by technology and curious about it and, and seeing what sort of impact it's having on not only my community, but the world around us. Um, I didn't know necessarily that I was going to get into technology when I was done with school, but I I went to UC San Diego uh, for college. And when I came back after studying international studies and economics, I was like, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, but it does sound like a good idea to live at home and save money and and work in tech and make money. So that's what I'm going to do. And uh, I started off in in a sales job uh, just because Again, not sure where I was going to fit within the context of working in an organization. Um, And I figured sales would be a good, valuable set of skills to learn. And you'll be connecting with all different aspects of an organization and understanding how these organizations function internally. And that might help me figure out what it is that I want to do if it isn't sales. So, um, yeah, I did that for for a number of years, uh, about five years total. Uh, three years into my first job, I, I really burnt myself out badly. Um, and, you know, what was happening around me uh, was I was in somewhat of a toxic environment where, you know, selling kind of a nice to have product and not a need to have product. Um, and I was being a people pleaser and giving way too much of myself without filling my own cup back up. And um, really just so stressed out and not knowing how to process uh, or channel any of the emotions that I was experiencing. And physiologically, what happened was my, my stomach and my esophagus were constricting to the point where the acid from my stomach was actually burning my esophagus. Oh, my God. Yeah. That had to be painful. It was painful. And, you know, what's funny is, like, I can even remember the exact day this happened. It was a July 1st, 2014. And uh, I, it was, you know, after the first two quarters of the year, and I was one of the few reps had gone above my number for, for the half year mark. Um, and I sort of just had like this sinking feeling and, and realization like, whoa, I just exhausted all of the, you know, opportunities that I had. And I have to start from nothing again. And um, yeah, it was like, you know, I, I did all this amazing work and I celebrated for, you know, not even two hours. Right. And, 
it's like, okay, starting again. And, and my body was telling me, actually, no, you're going to listen to me for once. So did it like creep up on you or was it sort of like this gradual thing that happened? Um, it it kind of just started happening that day. I mean, I'm sure that my body was telling me things before that, but I was so in my head um, and you know, needing to get the next thing done and making sure that I got my deals going and all these things that I wasn't picking up on what was what my body was telling me, um, or I was distracting myself in order to uh, not have to sit with the discomfort of what was actually emerging. Oh, wow. And so, uh, you know, it's crazy, because, you know, my plan, June 30th of 2014, was to actually move to the Australia office of the organization I was working at and help build the sales team there and help them learn how the internal processes and tools work. Um, and I already got an approval um, from the VP of sales. He was like, yeah, that sounds good. I'd love to have you out there. And I thought that was actually going to fix my problem. Wow. So your career was really kind of like on this, this fast rise then. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, uh, I, I figured, you know, I'd lived in California my whole life and uh, I think it would really serve me and my well-being to go explore and live somewhere else. But, you know, really what I came to the realization of um, was, well, I would just be doing the same job and actually starting from even further behind because I didn't have existing accounts that I was working with. And I would have lost my entire community that I had built here. Um, and I'd, you know, still be doing the job that wasn't necessarily fulfilling me. And so really what I wanted to do was just really travel and, and explore and experience new things in a non-stressful environment. <laughs> and so, yeah. uh, I, I went, I quit and I went traveling for about six months and it was really transformative. I went to Europe, uh, and, and South America for that chunk of time. Wow. Did you have a favorite place that you were at? Uh, I mean, there's so many places that are, are good for different reasons, you know, whether it's, you know, nature or the people who live there, you know, the, um, the art, you know, there's so many, uh, things that, um, there's something, there's something good about each yeah, place, each place right? Yeah. They all have their own, uh, uniqueness to them. And, uh, you know, one that I could like, potentially see myself living in for a potential ex uh, extended period of time was was Medellin, Colombia, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was actually uh, shocked at how much I enjoyed myself there. Not that I didn't hear it was amazing, but um, the weather's great. Um, the public transportation system is impeccable. You know, you can get anywhere in the city for 80 cents. Oh, my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> wow it really is um the people are great they're so proud of where they come from and i think what another really cool aspect is you know any because they have such like a tumultuous and um and dark history in medellin um you know anywhere that maybe had um something for lack of a better term bad happening there you know like a drug den or you know, uh, a, like a brothel or anything along those lines, 
they would take that space and transform it into something that was positive, sort of like a, a beacon for social change. Um, so they might take that drug den and, and turn it into like the head of education or, um, you know, turn whatever this, um, this, you know, this thing was into a library, something positive for the community. And what, what else they do is cool is that it doesn't matter what neighborhood you're in, they do at least one thing that catches your eye or something that you want to visit and see so that you really explore the whole city. Wow. And so you were talking before about how you had developed this community in California and really had grown up in the heart of Silicon Valley. So when you went on this six month adventure, what what did that mean for you and like the development of, of being a person? Yeah, it, I mean, it was really about creating more space for myself to exist. Um, I, for so long, had been in, operating in this place of, of reactivity and, and, and doing what I thought I should be doing or what I told would be good for me to do. Um, and this was the first time that I kind of just said, well, now I'm going to make this decision for myself and I'm going to go out on my own and, and um, yeah, explore and learn not only about cultures, but, you know, learn about myself and what it is that I truly value as a person. Uh, <clears throat> right, right. Yeah, I, uh, I did some traveling as well after um, graduating from school. And it's amazing because it puts things in perspective with regards to like, okay, yes, there are these um, fundamental cultural differences. But at the end of the day, like we're still uh, both human. Um, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, it, it really is. It's, 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 yeah. If anyone has the opportunity, I, I definitely recommend to um, try to travel solo for however long you can manage or afford. Um, and so, and then, so when you got back from your trip, what was it like? Uh, you, you went back to California? Yep. And uh, I decided, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to move out of my home and, you know, that'll help my well-being, I think, a little bit. And uh, I'm going to move to San Francisco. And you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work at another organization. And I'm going to do sales. But what really matters to me is people, product, and culture. And if I have those things, I'll be able to sell the product and have a good time doing it. It actually won't matter what it is that I'm being paid. Um, because if I can sell the product, then I'll be able to get paid. Right, right. Um, and, and so, I, I mean, that sounds like it was a very different perspective going in than what you did initially when you first started working. Totally. You know, when I, when I first started working, I was like you know, scouring all these blogs and I'd be on like TechCrunch and I was like, oh, whoa, this company just got funding. Let me see what they're about. Like, let me apply, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, I was, I was really not in a rush to move into any particular job and I, I was really um being thoughtful with what organization I I I spent my time with. Yeah, it's it's inspiring just like um really just the the transformation that can take place over six months to a year. Um and just like a whole new perspective you had going into work that might might be perceived from the outside as similar, uh, but how your approach and mindset going in can drastically change like how you enjoy the job and your life. Totally. I, yeah, 
I I knew that if uh, if I if if this organization that I was working for had you know some core values and um, I didn't feel uncomfortable about selling the product in some way. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed the people that I was working with that I, I was going to have a great time. And I, I did, I really like truly and deeply did for about six months. And um, I sort of saw myself heading down uh, a similar path and, and knowing that I had, I'd been there before I was able to see the signs much earlier um, because at the end of the day, I was thinking, you know, well, what am I doing here? Well, I'm, I'm selling products to some business so they can optimize some function of their business so they can sell more products to another business, to a consumer, to another business, you know, to what end, why, what's, what's the point of this? You know, how, how am I using my energy for good? Um, and while I, I did feel a little bit of that in, in this new organization and role, um, I knew that my energy could be used for something so much better. And, you know, I'm so grateful to the time that I spent within that organization. I mean, I, I have so many um, people that I truly love and, you know, best friends of mine that, that came from working there. And um, it is in large part the, the, the catalyst that started my meditation practice. Um, because, you know, a lot of, a lot of organizations now are understanding that, um, self-care and, and the well-being of your employees is, is, is important for many reasons. Um, yeah, it's like one of those things like, oh, like surprise. You know? <laughs> Whoa. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, for whatever reason, it wasn't like a, a clear thing initially. Oh, you mean you're not just a resource that's meant to be extracted? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and so what's funny is like the more that I kind of cultivated a meditation practice, it helped me ultimately realize that I could no longer work there. <laughs> um, and so around that time, I was figuring out like, you know, what's my what's my thing? Like, what's my thing that makes me me? And actually, you know, important distinction here. What's my next thing? Um, not just what's my thing, because I think a lot of us, especially our age and, and younger generations are like trying to figure out what is the thing they're going to do for the rest of their lives. And that's not necessarily how it works, right? You, you just need to figure out what's the next thing that feels right for you. And that, right, right. that combination of all the experiences and things that you have ultimately helps you figure out, you know, what it is that you do want to dedicate more of your life to. And so now you are the founder and executive director of a nonprofit called Happy, which is awesome, <laughs> helping awesome parents parent intentionally. I love that. <laughs> and you're also you're also the co-founder of the Digital Wellness Collective. So, um, so let's start first with Happy, though. What, what inspired you to create Happy, and and why is it important that Happy exists right now? Yeah, so kind of uh, thank you for segueing me into kind of the next part of the story is, um, you know, while I was thinking I, I want to make my next move and not being sure what that looked like, I would come home on weekends to help me take care or, or I would come home on weekends um, back to my home to spend time with my family and help take care of my nieces. Uh, I actually only had one niece at the time, but I have two now and I, I just adore them more than anything. Uh, um, 
And my niece, Emma, who's almost six now, has had an iPad in her hand since like one and a half, two, right? Which is oh, wow. not uncommon at all. Um, and what starts off very innocently is going on YouTube to learn animal sounds and ABCs uh, very quickly turns into sponsored content by way of autoplay and recommended video feed. Um, you know, sponsored content for, for toys and candy and chocolate and play-doh and you know all all these things that you know companies would like their would like the kids to ask their parents to buy them and that's really at best i mean there's actually some really dark holes of youtube that kids can get down where they'll maybe use keywords that they know will show up in the algorithm and um, use some of these kids favorite characters and perhaps have them do very nefarious things like really um really scary stuff um so, yeah, the amount of, of trauma that's happening through consuming content is really, you know, not something that we can necessarily quantify, but it's uh, it's really um, it's really present and and something that I don't think we're thinking enough about. And do you think that the danger of it is that it's so subtle? So some of it is subtle, like I would think on the the product selling front it is. Um, you know, like, oh, I'm going to have a kid who's playing with these toys and it actually won't even seem like an ad or anything. It's, it's just a kid who's enjoying himself playing with these Disney Cars toys or whatever it might be. And so it is very subtle in that way because the child has no understanding that what they're watching is really just a promotion of products, right? That is subtle. Yeah. I think wow. what is not so subtle is then taking those characters that the kids have grown connected to and attached to and having them do really scary and dark things that has an immediate and, and, and very clear uh, traumatic impact on a child. Wow. And so this seems at least from, from what I've seen and through our conversations and other people we're connected with, this has seemed to have hit parents rather quickly and a lot of there's a lot of anxiety and worry around the role that technology is playing in their child's or their children's lives. And so what can parents do to prepare for, you know, what what if like someone has just given birth to a child? What, what can they do to prepare for um, the raising of their child in today's digital age? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, really the the, the philosophy behind happy is that you have to take good care of your own well-being so that you have the energy to take care of everything else that you have in your life. You know, not only your relationship with your, your kid, um, but connection to your, your family and your chosen family, community, um, connection to earth and nature. And, um, you know, a lot of the, the systems that we have now are, are designed in many ways to sap your your sense of self and your agency away from you in that okay well you know this is the product that we're trying to sell and we have a lot of marketing dollars behind it like let's let's try to you know push push this message to this person that we think will like this product and so maybe you have the perception of agency because you're the one who's actually buying it but did you actually make that decision or was it the environment around you that helped lead you to that decision? Um, was it, you know, a series of things that you had experienced in your life that helped lead you to that place? Um, 
was that actually you at the core of who you are and who you're being that made that decision? And so my message is really around helping parents reclaim their attention and prioritizing their sense of self and their understanding that they have agency. Um, because when a parent really reclaims that, it, it actually has a much more profound ripple effect on the world. And do you find that there are a lot of uh, parents, families that aren't, that really haven't seized their attention or their own attention and are really oblivious to the impact that technology is having on their kids? Or do you find that, that parents are starting to become more and more aware of this? Um, I think there is both a progression and regression happening simultaneously, like in many parts of our country and, and the world, <laughs> um, yeah. where there are a lot more people who are becoming aware of these, this complex set of uh, issues. And more of those people are finding and connecting with each other, like us together now having this conversation, which is, is such a beautiful thing to, to make this megaphone bigger. And I also think there is a large contingency of people who don't necessarily realize what's happening and have gotten conditioned for instant gratification and, you know, accessing comfort in, in whatever sense that means to them. Um, and, you know, kind of in some ways, um, kicking kicking the the pain the can of pain down the road as far as possible until it like really hits hits someone in a, in a really difficult uh way um or, or traumatic situation um does that make sense yeah yeah absolutely and so so with all that said how do we find a balance because obviously technology offers us a lot of great conveniences and tools that we didn't have 20 10 or even just five years ago and so how how can we figure out that balance of inviting technology into our lives and using it to make our lives more efficient while still being connected to our children our peers our friends co-workers um and and really create a sense of community yeah i think um, it's about remembering that this is a tool and really that we as, as people are powerful and we can help shift culture. If, if that's something that we actually decide in groups that we want to do together. And um, I think that a lot of the tools that we have now are designed for comfort because comfort is something that you can quantify, you can measure it, you know, you can make products and services out of comfort. Look, I know that I saved you this much time in, in doing this particular task or look, it only takes three seconds now to buy something, right? I can measure that. Um, yeah. Whereas your happiness is so unique to you, Pat, that I, I wouldn't know how to make a product or service out of that. And even if I did figure out what makes you happy, well, that product and service doesn't scale very well. I mean, you, you would buy it and maybe your family, but <laughs> that's, that's, not a, that's not a mega million dollar business or billion dollar business. It's certainly not a unicorn. 
<laughs> right, right. And so I think what happens is because we we have all these products and services that are are designed for comfort and it's now a market that is saturated with tools that are designed for comfort that it just becomes one easy to pick whatever uh, somebody told you is good or, you know, works. Um, because again, I don't want to spend all of this time trying to figure out, okay, well, which, which product makes the most sense for me? Because, you know, it, it likely not one of them can even do exactly what it is that I'm looking for. And, um, you know, I think the distinction that we have to make is, okay, with all of this comfort that we're consuming, one, are we grateful for it? Are we, are we recognizing that this is actually giving us more time and space in our day to do things that we actually want to do? And with that extra time and space, are we using it to consume more comfort, which I think a lot of people are doing, or is it being used um, to, to help us grow more fully into the people that we want to be? And uh, there's this quote that I love to use, which is the, the comfort zone is a beautiful place, but nothing ever grows there. Yes, that's so true. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, t- talking about this, this comfort zone has really got me thinking that um, do you think that people have such a hard time developing relationships whether it be, you know, informal, personal or, or, you know, professional relationships, because because they're uncomfortable with stepping outside of their comfort zone. And if they're in an environment where they do have the opportunity to uh, meet new people, it's much easier just to stay on your phone the whole time or even to have diff- like to avoid difficult conversations. Totally. Yes. Um, you know, I think. And I've been in the situation too. Like I'm, I'm certainly not saying that I've, I've never done this, but you know, you'll, you'll go, to, <laughs> yeah, we're all, yeah. <laughs> you know, you'll go to a place full of people and you maybe don't know anyone there. And so like my inclination is like, okay, I'll just check my phone and I'll like either do stuff or like pretend like I'm doing stuff on it for a little while until I feel more comfortable myself in the space. Or maybe I'll, I'll see that one person that I knew was going to be here or, um, you know, and then go talk to them. Like, absolutely. I, I think you're, you're spot on with that. Um, and I also think it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's much safer to have a, a very surface level conversation um, or, you know, talking about something that's happening outside of the world or, or outside of, of you in the world, as opposed to talking about who you are and what it is that you might be feeling or going through. I mean, for a lot of people, it's, it's really hard to broach those topics, especially when, you know, the event that you're going to is, is maybe not necessarily related to you connecting deeply with another individual. And so I, I see a lot of my work, uh, the way I see it is, you know, it's about creating comfortable spaces for people to be uncomfortable to stretch themselves out a little bit and, and grow. Yeah. Um, and, and people are willing to do that if they feel safe in the environment that they're in. And, you know, in part, their intention isn't really to just gather more information. I think there's so many events and so many resources, whether it's online or, or offline, that can give you more information. 
Um, and ultimately, information is comfortable as well. You know, you can consume endless amounts of information and never have to fail or do anything with it. Whereas mm. transformation is uncomfortable. You know, it requires taking that information, figuring out whether or not it serves you and who you are in some way, and then integrating it into your life, which is much more difficult and not necessarily a linear process. Um, and so I think it's, it's a matter of, you know, s setting an intentional space where really there's a mutual understanding that, that people are here for transformation and that we are all in different um, parts of our journey of transformation. And it's, it's okay if some people feel more comfortable spilling their, in, they, all their guts out uh, in their heart. Um, uh, and, and some people who are really just listening and, and maybe learning from those people who are feeling so deeply. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's so true that uh, consuming information is something that's really comfortable, especially if we consume, 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 and then we don't do anything with that information. Um, right. And not, as a, and not necessarily creating any time for pause or reflection to actually take that information and allow my like subconscious, that default mode network of my brain to start connecting dots, right. <laughs> Making it actually turn into insight. Yeah. And so would you say through uh, working uh, a happy and then just through your uh, own experience that the best way to get to transformation truly is confronting the comfort zone and really uh, stepping outside that comfort zone? Right. Yeah. Um, and yes, it is. And I, for me, and I also think that you know, sometimes the only way is through something. You can't really go over it or around it. You have to break, break through it. And um, that, that has absolutely been my experience. And I, I myself have pushed the pain or kicked the pain can down the road uh, a lot in my life. And I think it's about finding the things that are uncomfortable, but, you know, you do feel you can address right now, um, even if it, if it might be hard. And then that creates more space for you to dive deeper and get into like the, the more deep, really difficult stuff that you might've experienced, whether they're you know, traumatic childhood experiences or things that you've regretted for a really long time or you know, even like physically healing your body, which, you know, might be in pain. Wow. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. And do you find that most parents that you work with are very, I, I, I guess I, w I would assume that many would be very receptive to, to your coaching and, and, and what you're um, educating them on. But do you ever get parents who are who are very, very hesitant and um, and to feel that um, that maybe uh, technology should be ingrained more into into their children's upbringing? Well, you know, my job isn't to tell people what to do and when to do it. Um, and I think that kind of thinking is a lot of styles of parenting that we can kind of commonly see now um, is, you know, I am the authority 
over this child and I know what's right for them. Um, and, you know, you know, it, it may be that a, a child will benefit from using more technology in the right way. Right. I'm not here to say, you know, these are the screen time limits that you should put on your kid. And, you know, this this is if you want to be like me, this is how you do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Uh, yeah, people don't like to be told. What no. To do, right. Sure. And, yeah. and and if you could remember back maybe to when you were a kid, when somebody told you like not to do something, you're like, mm, well, unless it was like really, truly dangerous, uh, you're like, well, no, I'm going to do it anyway. Right. <laughs> um, you know, maybe I won't do it right in front of you. Uh, but you know, I'm going to go off and with my friends and we're going to go play this thing that we, we were told was not, not okay. Um, right. Right. And so, yeah, I think so much of this work is, um, as, as I, I do more of the work on myself, you know, the inner work and, um, and I engage more with, with parents, I, I realize it's, it's not necessarily about the parents relationship with their child. And I think there are a lot of parents who do come in and they're like, Oh, my child is having all these really negative experiences and they're addicted to gaming and all of these things are happening. And uh, they're so worried and concerned about their kid. And, you know, I, I realized through doing this work that it's, it's again, not about their parents relationship with their child. It's, it's about the parents relationship with their inner child. Hmm. And, what I mean by that is that childhood is inherently traumatic for every person on some level, because even the process of being birthed uh, into this world is traumatic, right? You're in a situation where every one of your needs is, is taken care of. You are completely nourished on all levels, and then you are ripped out of that into this, this new uncertain world. Um, and, as kids growing up, we are insecure, we're vulnerable, we're impressionable. And there are a lot of messed up things that are happening around us constantly. And we, we see adults who have all this power who can, you know, tell us what to do and have authority. And we go, gee, I can't wait till I become an adult. I won't have to deal with this anymore. You know, or, or so they think, right? We know that's not true. Yeah. But, um, you know, a child spends so much of their childhood wanting to become an adult um, because they don't feel like they have agency for themselves. And, you know, let's say they, they reach adulthood and they're thinking, whoa, whew, all right, I'm here now. I don't have to deal with that anymore. Going to forget about my past experiences, bury it, don't want to think about it. And often in the process of forgetting about maybe those adverse or traumatic experiences or regrets that they had, you know, they forget about the wonder and the curiosity and the excitement and the play and the imagination and the silliness and, you know, all these wonderful aspects of being a kid, you know, the need to feel loved and belong. Um, and, you know, we're kind of hardened and, and told, you know, that you're an individual and what matters is that you can support yourself and your family and, you, you're actually disconnected from everything else that's happening. And, you know, of course, now we're seeing so much isolation. And I think that's honestly the problem that, that parents are struggling with the most is that it's just them and their kids for the most part. The other parents that they're friends with that have kids are so busy themselves that 
they hardly see them unless it's like a birthday party or, you know, our kids are in, um, in soccer together or whatever it might be. Um, it's, it's just really difficult to build community. And I think a lot of the, the technology that we have now is it had good intentions um, of connecting the world. And really what it did is it provided connectivity and not connection. And there's a really big distinction between those two things. Do you think that a lot of today's technology has made us busier than necessary? Uh, almost uh, giving us, uh, almost in a lot of ways, busy work in a sense where it feels like we have a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff going on because technology is often demanding our attention or taking away our attention. Yeah, I mean, I think because there are so many things that are vying for your attention, whether it's your family or your community or your job or technology and the, the businesses that are marketing their tools and products on, on through these channels and the fact that I have access to it all day now, um, you know, each little bit sucks life out of you. Is Not necessarily all tools and things that you use um, are going to do that. But, um, you know, it's really about discerning what are the things that are life-giving. You know, what, what are the things that nourish me, that, that help me regenerate so that I can do the things that are calling for my attention that aren't necessarily fulfilling to me? Wow. Wow, yeah, it really it, it puts things in, in perspective with regards to uh, really what you were saying at the beginning of our conversation of the difference between being in like a reactive state to one where you're like you're you're deciding how you're going to be living out your life as opposed to reacting through whether it be through technology or um, yeah, it's it's uh, it really is a matter of of mindset totally and and thank you for reminding me of the point that i wanted to make actually uh with regards to inner child in that you know if if you can get a parent to reconnect with their their inner child and you know some of those uncomfortable experiences from from their childhood well it gives them much more empathy and compassion for what their kid might be going through right instead of coming from a place of reactivity and like hey turn that game off or get off your phone you know whatever it is that initial quick reaction um they're coming from more of a place of empathy and compassion like oh this this and curiosity right oh this kid's probably having a tough time like let me see let me see how they're doing let me let me ask them some questions let me let me show them that i care um because when you add social media and the, and the, the way that technology is currently designed um, to fragment our attention on top of what childhood, which is already difficult, um, you know, you just really feel for these kids. It's, it's, it's got to be so hard. I'm so glad that I did not have social media in middle school because I feel like I would have been skewered. Yeah. Yeah, because especially because that's such a crucial time where you're like trying to figure out your way through life and and relationships and who you are and who your friends are and just who you surround yourself with. Um, and to have that happening uh, in a 24-7 setting through social media, it, it has to be overwhelming. 
Totally. And I think like the hallmark of, of middle school is like homogeneity, right? You want to feel like you are the same as other people as much as possible because you want to fit in. And if you are different than other people, then you are cast aside. Um, and that, you know, when you factor social media into the fact that that's what's happening at that time in middle school and your individuality is not necessarily what's accepted. Um, yeah, that's just got to be so, so difficult as, as well as going through puberty and experiencing all these, these <laughs> physiological shifts. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine. Well, families are very lucky that they have happy to go to as a, as a potential resource to help them out with these issues. <laughs> oh, thanks. Matt. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about, uh, the digital wellness collective. You're one of the co-founders and that's actually the main way we got connected. Um, I I've been part of the collective, I guess, I guess for about a year, it's, it's really grown over time and it's a, it's a great organization. So for those of, uh, you know, of the listeners who, who don't know about it, I'm wondering if you could uh, just brief us on about what the Digital collect digital Wellness Collective is all about. Yeah, totally. So I, I think I'll, I guess, started with the, the origin story um, to give people some context on how this all came to be. So uh, it's almost been a year, actually. So the end of, of May... Um, the founder emeritus, Andrew Dunn, put out this petition um, to Apple to uh, really advocate for him to be able to create a digital wellness product that he's created for Android for iOS. And iOS is somewhat of a black box, and Apple doesn't necessarily want you tweaking the user experience. They kind of operate as this walled garden, so to speak. So he put out this, this petition, and I, I was in Toronto with him at a conference called the Mindful Society, which Digital Wellness Collective will have a presence at again at the end of, uh, at the end of May. And uh, he said, hey, I'm putting this petition out. Do you want Happy to be one of the original signatories on it? And I was like, yeah, for sure. It's, it's perfectly aligned with what I'm doing, and I'd love to support you. And that petition got some pretty good energy behind it. I mean, there were a few thousand signatures, uh, a Slack group became to form, which is, you know, how Pat made his way in, into the collective is this kind of organically growing community. And I think um, the beautiful thing about it is, you know, the people who kind of involved themselves in this digital wellness space kind of just dove in, took a leap of faith, knowing that it was the right thing to do. And we didn't realize necessarily the magnitude and the number of people that are actually involved in doing this type of work. Uh, it's amazing how much it's grown um, over the past year, or I guess less than a year. Yeah, less than a year. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Um, and to give people some more context here, um, you know, digital wellness is something that is a little bit hard to define. Um, just because I... I think it's so connected to all the other forms of whole of wellness. If you look at it in a holistic sense, because I can use my devices intentionally in a way which creates more time and space for me to focus on the other forms of wellness, whether it's uh, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, financial, social, you, you name it. 
And I can also use my devices intentionally in a way that supports all those other forms of wellness, right? I can use meditation apps and I can, uh, you know, I can use a Fitbit and I can, you know, have all of these other tools that help me boost all the other forms of wellness through my technology. So digital wellness is kind of inextricably connected to all other forms of wellness. Um, hmm. Yeah. And so that's why it's been something that's kind of hard to define, but where we kind of drew boundaries around it, at least for now is, you know, the people in this space are working to enhance human relationships by supporting the intentional use and development of technology. So educating people on how to use it better and also what to do when you're not using it, which is equally, if not more important, and uh, also advocating for more humane design. And yeah, it's, it's been uh, kind of a, a lovely, lovely journey in that we are, we've now really legitimized it into this, this trade collective uh, of people who are really tackling this complex set of issues from a number of different angles. You know, I focus on parents. There's some people who focus on youth and college students and some people who focus on the elderly. There's some people who have tech solutions like, like meditation apps and, um, you know, tools that help you become more protective of your, your attention and your time. Um, and there are also non-tech solutions. You know, there are phone-free events. There are um, retreats that people do. Um, and so there is a number of ways for people to in engage in, in this space and in this, this growing movement. And it's really a beautiful thing to know that we are all here to support one another and you know whether or not my business itself actually flourishes it is actually contributing to the 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 cultural shift that's happening that might lead me to another opportunity within the space and i know that what i'm doing is in alignment with who i am and and the values that i have and the world that i want to see Right. And at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. Um, and really what I love about the collective is p people really addressing uh, digital wellness from a wide variety of different backgrounds and um, methods of, of going about teaching this stuff. Um, you know, exactly what you were just saying before. Um, so, yeah, I want to encourage our listeners to definitely definitely go and check it out. Um, it's a, a, a vault of, of great things going on. So Gabby, I really actually just have one more question for you. Sure. The final, final question, uh, drum roll. Uh, so we've talked a lot throughout our conversation about community yeah. and, uh, really about, um, you know, a, a transformation and, and making space for ourselves, reclaiming attention um, as, you know, as individuals, but then also as a collective group. Um, so I'm curious as to your thoughts is when you think of a genuine, uh, deep, meaningful human relationship, what comes to mind? Hmm. Yeah, I think this, the distinction here is between camaraderie and community. 
So with camaraderie, it's, you know, someone who I know um, that I'll smile and wave at and I'll, I'll say hi to them when I see them wherever I'm going. Um, and, you know, they're, they're maybe a friend or an acquaintance of mine. And, and we're, we're very friendly with each other. Community, for me, is when I'm in a bind and I'm really struggling I know exactly who it is that I can call or the groups of people that I can call that have my back in those really difficult situations. And, you know, I think the beautiful thing with regards to digital wellness collective is like, we've actually built global community. I know that I can reach out to those people and they will have my back. Right. But I think what we, a lot of us struggle with in the space is actually having local community. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, as much as I love connecting people and building community in a global way, if, if I really need help, who am I calling? Right. Because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm in my garage, like taking calls with people and connecting them to other people. But like who holds space for those people that are that are building community? Um, and that's something I've really been s- sitting with a lot for myself um, recently. And I, I'm starting to find a lot more uh, people that I feel deeply connected with who, you know, if I, if I speak with it from the, 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 the context of a business, you know, you talk a lot about, or not you specifically, but people, people talk a lot about, about uh, culture fits, right? We're looking for someone's a culture fit. And I disagree. You know, I don't think we're looking for culture fits. We're looking for people who are value fits, right? That I know that we believe in, in the same things and we're working towards something much bigger than ourselves. But really what I'm looking for is people who are culture ads, right? Who add more ingredients to the sauce, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> uh, right? Yes, yes. Um, and so, um, you know, I think really what we're going for um, societally is, is building communities that are diverse equitable and inclusive and you know if i look at nature which for me is in many ways the best teacher um that's how nature operates right there's biodiversity there is equity of nutrients and resources that are going to everything in the in the ecosystem and the more that i include non-invasive species into that environment the more truly beautiful and unique this ecosystem becomes Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So really um, that uh, either a company or, or even just a community of some kind flourishes the most when there's um, a wide array of diversity. Yes. hundred percent. And um, you know, to connect community back to parenting as well. I know that uh, this is the last question. So I'll, I'll share a little analogy with you that I love with regards to parenting. Um, it's, it's called the gardener and the carpenter. Have you, have you heard this before? Um, I think you might've mentioned this to me. Actually. Oh, okay. It's really good, yeah. but, but please, please share it for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, this is a book that was written by a researcher at Berkeley. Her name is Alison Gopnik. And um, you know, what she came to realize in her research is that, there's generally, you know, two styles of operating and actually an intersection between those two styles. Um, and if you think about a carpenter and what their job is, you know, they have a vision for this house they want to build. 
and they're very meticulous about executing on that vision. They make a blueprint for it. They measure twice. They cut once. They can control every single variable of how this house looks like on the inside and on the outside. And what they're thinking generally is one of two things. Um, or actually, rather, what they're thinking is, I can't, you know, I can't wait till I finish building this house that I envisioned. I'll be so happy. And generally what happens is one of two things. Um, you know, one, this person builds a house and it doesn't turn out quite the way they wanted because they're human. And now they're disappointed in the house that they built. They're seeing the negative in it. Um, the other situation is you build the house and that's really all it is. It's a house and not a home. The foundation isn't rooted in anything. Um, now, a gardener, on the other hand, plants a seed in the ground. And in the case of a parent, you've planted an anonymous seed. You don't even know what it's going to grow into, which is really quite exciting or scary, depending on how you look at it. But really, <laughs> fear and excitement are really the same emotion, just like a different uh, mindset. Um, so, uh, you know, what you want to do is create an environment for that seed to flourish. Make sure it's getting plenty of sunlight and water and nutrients and certainly you want to prune some of the leaves and branches but again from a place of love and not out of fear really it's for the future flourishing and, and growth of of that plant and you also have to humbly accept that there is so much that's out of your control as a, as a as a gardener you know the weather um bugs that are nibbling away at my plant and also there's all these roots underneath the ground and i can't see them but they're sharing both nutrients and toxins with all of the other plants that are around it. And so ultimately what's more important than you tending to your individual plant is the ecosystem. If the ecosystem is healthy, your plant will be healthy. So community is really to me the most important thing because you can't be with your kid 24 hours a day. And as good a job as you do attending to that plant they're still going to be exposed to toxins if there are toxins in the ecosystem. Um, and so that, that's really the, the, the way that I, I've, I've gone about not only um, embodying the work that I do, um, but really seeing how it applies not only to parenting, but kind of a, a lot of the ways that we, we, look to objectively evaluate a business and how in quotes, I say how successful that they are because of these metrics that they're following and the things that we can, um, that we can objectively see and quantify and measure. Um, and really, again, that's, that's not how nature works. That, that doesn't mean that carpentry isn't important. I think there's a lot of value in carpentry because there are processes and, um, and tools that I can use that help me garden more effectively. Um, and so if you, if you think about, you know, this within the context of, of raising a kid, if your kid, you know, feels naturally called to wanting to play the guitar, well, you know, there's a carpentry method and process for learning to play the guitar, the basics, the foundation of it. But I'm not here to tell you what songs that you're going to play or what you have to play and what you should play. I want you to kind of organically let that grow. Right, right. That's, that's, that's such a good analogy. <laughs> I think so, too. And I certainly yeah. won't take credit for it. <laughs> 
Well, Gabby, thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast. It is always uh, a privilege to, to be speaking with you. And um, I, re- I really want to thank you for the work that you're doing, both with Happy and the Digital Wellness Collective. It's, it's really important work, especially uh, in today's age where it seems like technology could just uh, take over our lives completely if we let it. And what you're doing with just educating parents and families on how to live more mindfully with technology and really have it as a tool instead of us being the tool of the technology, uh, it's, um, it's really inspiring. So I want to thank you for doing that. Wow, thank you. Uh, I, I'm so grateful uh, that you decided uh, I would be a good fit for this lovely new podcast that you've started. Um, I, I hope that I was able to help the growth of this, this project in some way and that some of what was talked about here between the both of us will resonate deeply with some members of your audience. Um, you know, it's not necessarily something that we can quantify and measure, um, but I think, you know, the reason that we do this work is because we know it's serving a much higher purpose, whether or not we can actually tell you exactly how successful again in quotes something like this is um and so i'm I'm just so thankful to have met more people like you who are on this journey um and and to know that we're all really working towards the same thing here is, is is really so special i think we're at such a unique point in history where we actually have the wealth and we have the technological capacity to make it so that people don't have to do things that they don't want to have to do. And they can actually really fully start to become more of the person that they, they were meant to be. Absolutely. And before we sign off, Gabby, I just wanted to see um, where, where could people find out more about you, uh, more about happy and, and all the great things that you're doing. Yeah. So if you want to learn more about happy, uh, the website is H a P P I.org. Um, right now I'm running local community workshops. Um, if you're interested in getting in touch, you can absolutely reach out um, through the contact form. Uh, there's also digital wellness collective um, and the website is digitalwellnesscollective.com, um, which, uh, yeah, you're welcome to learn more about what it is that you're doing. And if you're involved in the space or thinking about getting involved in the space, uh, definitely reach out to us. And there are more projects of Bruin, and uh, I'll definitely be sure to let you know, Pat, when, uh, when they're ready. Great, great. And, and for our listeners, please stay tuned. <laughs> so awesome. Gabby, thank you so much. It was great chatting. With thank you, you Pat. You have a great rest of your day, brother. Uh, Happy Earth Day. (laughs) Yes, happy Earth Day. (laughs) There you have it, everyone. Gabby Jubron, executive director and founder of Happy and co-founder of Digital Wellness Collective. There are a lot of great tidbits of information in there. I hope you have the opportunity to really soak those in, really think them over because Gabby was just spewing a lot of knowledge bombs and it was great having him on here. If you liked this episode, please feel free to comment or share it with your friends if you think this message will really resonate with them. 
Or if you have the Anchor app, you could also feel free to send me a voice message. And if you're lucky, we might broadcast your message on an episode in the future. So thank you so much for being with myself and Gabby today and looking forward to catching you next episode.